Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12 this evening. We want to talk about um, the story of Abraham and Lot. We've been uh, teaching for the last several weeks on uh, a series that we've uh, entitled Stories in Genesis. And it's just a um, collection of uh, different events that the Bible speaks to and we're gathering them together. I, I don't intend to go through the whole uh, book of Genesis, I, I don't think. At least that's not what I think I'm supposed to do. But uh, there are certain things that uh, the Lord seems to be drawing me toward and certain stories that uh, are a foundation for our faith. And this is one of them tonight. Let's start in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Now, um... We know of Abraham as the father of our faith. The Bible speaks of in several cases. He's uh, certainly in the Heroes Hall of Fame, uh, Faith Heroes Hall of Fame over in Hebrews chapter 11. We know that Romans chapter 4 speaks a lot about his faith and, and uh, the faith that we're supposed to imitate and emulate. But uh, let's look at some other things about uh, Abraham. Um, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen talked about Abraham in his defense when he was accused of breaking the law of Moses and all the things that they wound up stoning him for. Uh, Stephen's response starts off with Abraham, and it shows us, gives us some uh, understanding what the early church understood and knew about Abram that we don't necessarily, uh, it, well, if we know it, we don't focus on it. Acts chapter 7, verse 1, then said he, speaking of Stephen, uh, I'm sorry, then said the high priest, are these things so? And he, Stephen, said... Men and brethren and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. Now these words are very specific because God is called the God of glory only one other place in the Bible. And that's in Psalm 29. And it's, it's a, a psalm relating to millennium events. It's a kingdom title. It's a God being a ruler of all the earth title. And so it says the God of glory appeared that word's very specifically. It does not say, if you want to compare that to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, it said, now the Lord had said to Abram. Here it speaks of, of God appearing to Abram. Now the reason this is important is because Genesis is the, the book of beginnings. And the book of Genesis, there are 51 chapters in uh, Genesis, and it really deals with three beginnings. It deals with the beginning of the human race when he created Adam, it talks about the beginning of uh, the race of uh, humanity after the flood. And then it talks about the beginning of the chosen nation of God, the chosen people of God. So it's really three beginnings. Now, the first two, the beginning of the human race and uh, the flood, the story of the flood and so forth, covers 11 chapters and 2,000 years. The remaining 39 chapters cover about 400 years, no more than 400 years, and much, 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 much more detail is given to us, specifically about the first three generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, than the 2,000 years previous to that, 
to Abraham's being chosen. For that reason, I think it's appropriate for us to look at the first 2,000 years as kind of a preface or an introduction or a foundation, if you will, for the chosen people of God. And the, the 11th chapter of Genesis, well, not the, the end of the chapter, but the 11th chapter of Genesis tells us about God's judgment upon mankind because of their desire to do evil and so forth. And then chapter 12 starts with the grace of God being poured out upon someone that he chose. Now, Joshua says, uh, in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2, when he talks to the children of Israel about the promised land and, and uh, the land that they've been brought into, he makes a statement that's very interesting and gives us a little bit more information about Abraham and who he was. It says, your forefathers, when they were, uh, King James says, uh, before the flood. Literally, that means in the Hebrew, it literally means on the other side of the Euphrates River. He's talking about in Mesopotamia. He said, your forefathers in Mesopotamia were called out by God under the land of Canaan, under this land which you now stand in. And he makes reference to Abraham's father, Terah, and his grandfather, Nahor, that they both served other gods. So Abraham was an idol worshiper. Everybody was, I guess. There was no, um, well, there's no record that God had appeared unto anyone until the time of Abraham comes along. It doesn't speak to the Lord appearing to Adam. It doesn't speak to the Lord appearing to Noah. But here where it comes to Abraham, it talks about how that the Lord appeared, according to Stephen's testimony, the Lord appeared unto Abraham, the God of glory, appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Now, did you notice, uh, are you in a place where you can flip back to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 and look at that again? Notice it says, now the Lord had said. It does not say the Lord said. It said the Lord had said. You're going to understand why that is. Back to Acts chapter 7 verse 2. The God of glory appeared unto Abraham our father when he was in Mesopotamia, beyond the Euphrates River, as Joshua speaks of, before he dwelt in Haran. Charon is the, uh, the Greek for Haran. And they said unto him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. And then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans, and dwelt in Haran. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him unto this land, wherein you now dwell. Now back to, Hebrew, uh, back to Genesis chapter 12. Let's start again with verse 1. Now the Lord had said, prior to this point in time that it refers to, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country, that's what Stephen said, and from thy kindred, Stephen mentioned that too, and from thy father's house or land, unto a land that I will show thee. Stephen makes mention of all three of those things. God told him to do three things. Abraham didn't do them. He didn't do them. Turn back with me to chapter 11 at the end of the chapter, and let me show you what it says about Abraham's uh, lineage. Uh, let's just start in verse 27. Verse 26, it says, Terah, that was uh, Abraham's father, lived 70 years and begat Abraham, or Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, these are the generations of Terah. This is Abram's father. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So Abram is his first child. 
and the other two children are named for relatives. And Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity. Where was that? In Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Isaac, or Iscah, I guess. But Sarah was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, but they came to Haran and dwelt there. Now, why did they leave Ur of the Chaldees? Because the Lord had appeared unto Abram and said, follow me and go to a land that I tell you to go, a land that I'll show thee. But what did he tell him to do? He said, well, leave your father's land. They did that when they left Ur. But he said, leave your father's house and your father's kindred. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He took his father with him and Lot, his nephew. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, how long were they in Haran? See, the only thing that we know is that when they left Haran, Abraham was 75 years old. We don't know what age Abraham was when God appeared to him. We don't know how long they spent in Terah or in Haran. You know what Terah means? It means delay. It means delay. Finally, when Terah dies, Terah, Abraham's father, when Terah dies, Abraham decides he's going to follow the next step of what God told him to do to go to the land that he shows him. Haran wasn't it. So Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran, verse 5, and Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land under the place of Sychem, under the plain of Morah. You know what Morah means? Morah means instruction. The word place is literally the word oak. Apparently there was an oak tree that everybody knew about. In the place of instruction. Now this is why that fits. And the Canaanite was then in the land, and the Lord appeared unto Abram. Notice that God appears to him the first time and gives him instruction, and it's only after he follows through on what he's supposed to do that God gives him further instruction, further information. But even then, he hadn't done exactly what God told him, because he still got part of his relatives with him. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto unto thy seed... Will I give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Now, folks, I want you to understand something, and you're going to see this. The story's not over. You're going to see this time and time again. The more you step out to obey God, the more he gives you. The more information he gives you, the clearer the picture becomes. So many times, we want the whole picture up front. God will speak something to our heart, and we'll say, yeah, but what about this? But if you want to know what about this, all you got to do is do what he told you to do. But so many times people get stuck. They get stuck waiting for all the answers. And by the time all the answers come, if they ever do, they've wasted 
years of their lives. I've got people that I went to Bible school that are still waiting to find out how to do what God wants them to do. 35 years later. Well, at this point, I'm not sure you even should try. I'm sure that's how they feel about it. Well, what is it that keeps us in place? What is it that holds us back? We're afraid to walk by faith instead of by sight. That's the one thing that Abram struggles with. It's the one thing that he learns. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't mean to say any of these things to imply that God's mad at Abram. Abram doesn't have any example to follow. And God brings him into the fullness of his plan for his life, even though Abram delays. We don't know how much the delay is. I've seen anything from 20 years, 5 years to 20 years, suggested by the theologians and commentators, and, and nobody knows. I will tell you this. The Jews believe that God appeared unto Abram when he was 48 years old. If that's true, it's 27 years. Now, I don't know. And I'm not trying to suggest that it was a long time, short time, long time. I don't know. But I do know this. I, knew, I know that Abram, the story of Abram following God, is a story where he develops his faith and his confidence in God by degrees. So he says, the Lord appeared unto Abram, again, verse 7, and said, unto thy seed will I give this land. Now he's got more information. First thing he knew was that he was going to show him a land. Go to the land that I'll show you. Now he gets to the place and he says, this is the land, and I'm going to give it to your seed. Notice that God never told him that he would give him land until now, verse 7. Until he takes the second step. First step was to leave Ur of the Chaldees. Second step was to follow God from Herod when he was 75 years old. Then he gets to the land that God wants him to have, and that's when God gives him the promise of possession. Unto thy seed will I give this land forever. Unto thy seed will I give this land forever. It goes further. It says, And there Abram built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Notice when the fullness of the revelation of God's plan for his family is concerned. And remember at this time Abram has no children. But when God's plan for his family is concerned and his posterity is, is revealed, that's when he worships God. That tells us what's first and foremost on Abram's mind. That tells me why he left Ur of the Chaldees to begin with. He said, I'll make of thee a great nation. I'm sure the other things, I'll bless thee and make you a blessing. I'm sure those, when he thought about them, those sounded good. And, and yeah, okay, that'll be great. But I think Abraham wanted a family. I think first and foremost, he was looking for a family. He didn't have any children of his own. And now here's God promising him a family to go to a land that he doesn't know. Maybe a land he's never even heard of. We don't know for sure. Verse 8, and he removed from thence, from that place, unto a mountain on his east, or on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. I want you to keep this verse of scripture in mind. Bethel means house of God. Hai means ruin or destruction. Now folks, you need to understand this, and this is one of the reasons, the reason, in my opinion, why so much time in the Bible is spent on Abram. 
who becomes Abraham. Because he is a type of the believer walking in this earth. Abram, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, that Abram sought for a city whose builder and maker was God. He lived as a pilgrim in tents. In other words, he was of the world, but he knew that he was, he was in the world, rather, but he knew that he wasn't of the world. He's looking for something more than just a city that's built with hands. He's looking for a place where he can fellowship with God. Now, was that what he was looking for to begin with? Probably not. Probably didn't know that was possible. But that's the kind of person that he becomes. So Abram, in one of the first types of the believer walking in this earth, a stranger and a pilgrim with a job to do, following the direction of God, the Holy Spirit leading in our lives. It says he pitched his tent between the house of God and perishing or destruction. And what did he do? Two things. He pitched his tent. He lived there. And secondly, he built an altar. And there he called upon the name of the Lord. Now keep that in mind because it looks like God has brought him to what could be or should be, in my opinion, what was intended to be the end of his journey. And he called upon the name of the Lord. Now notice the next verse. Next verse says, And Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. Why? What's he leaving the place that he pitched his tent and built an altar? Did God say go south? Did God say anything about going south? It says Abram went south. Now it tells us why he went south in verse 10. It says and there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was grievous in the land. In other words, Abram came to the land. And first of all, we read in, what was it, verse 5, 6, somewhere around there. It said the Canaanite was in the land when God said this is the place. In other words, there was a circumstance that existed that spoke loudly, saying, this can't be your land. Somebody else has got it. You ever had the devil tell you that the promises of God can't really be yours because of ABC? Insert your favorite circumstance. Healing can't be yours because the doctor said you've got this, that, or the other. Prosperity can't really be yours because you know what the balance is in your bank book. There are always going to be circumstances. And not only that, but the land at the exact time that Abram gets there is experiencing a famine. So what does he do? He leaves the land that God said was his. Now remember the blessings that God's promised. Go to a land that I'll show you. I'll make your name great. I'll bless you and you'll be a blessing. He gets there, sees the land, and God says, this is the land that I'm giving to your seed forever. This is the second time now he's appeared to him. First person the Bible mentions appearing to, God appearing to, is Abram. He's appeared to him twice now. And so in the circumstances of the famine, what does he do? 
He picks up and goes south. Did he go south because God told him to go south? Or did he do like we oftentimes do and look for our opportunities based on circumstances? Well, let's see what happens and maybe we can decide. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarah his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see that thou see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Now, why in the world is Abram leaving a place where there's a famine. I mean, that part we can understand pretty well, but the place that he chooses to go to is a place where he feels like his life is in danger because of his wife. Is that a good choice? You know the end of the story, or the next thing that happens in the story, you know that he says, talks her into telling everybody that she's his sister, and so Pharaoh takes her unto himself. But before Pharaoh can sleep with her, God plagues his house. To such a degree that Pharaoh comes to the realization that, wait a minute, something's not right here. So he figures it out, goes back to Abraham and says, what in the world did you tell me a lie for? Now, would God ever send you somewhere where you had to lie to get along? Well, Pastor Mike, maybe God sent him to Egypt, but he just lied on his own. He put himself in a position, in a land, in a circumstance, where he felt like he had to lie to make it. Pharaoh finds out about it. Pharaoh calls him into question. Abraham says, well, yeah, we lied. Uh, Well, she's kind of my sister. So it's not really technically a lie. Man, does he sound like us? But, yeah, she's my wife. Well, Pharaoh winds up blessing him. Pharaoh winds up, he's so glad that he didn't do something untoward and God exact judgment on him. And so he blesses him, and he warns everybody else to leave him alone. And so it says in chapter 13 that Abram went up out of Egypt. He returns from Egypt. He and his wife and all that he had, and Lot was with him into the south. In other words, Lot went with him into Egypt. He still hadn't left Lot. And remember, the instruction of the Lord was, leave your land, leave the land of your father and your father's house and your kindred. He hadn't left Lot yet. He's still got relatives. Now, the reason that this is uh, significant, and again, I'm not saying God's mad at him. God knew what he was going to do, foresaw it from the beginning. But Isaiah 31 says that God called Abram alone. He did not call Lot. He didn't call his father. He didn't call anybody but Abram. In other words, there was a special relationship that God is creating with his man, his friend, Abram, that nobody else can infringe on. Now, Lot certainly benefited from it. He's increasing along with Abram. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us about it. It says, Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, under the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, under the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there, Abram called on the name of the Lord. You know what his time in Egypt is? Lost time. 
Yeah, somebody might say, but look at how he prospered. Well, is that to say that Egypt is the only place where he could have prospered? Is that to say that that was the way that God intended for him to prosper? Is to go to a place that he never told him to go to? Notice he called upon the name of the Lord when he first got to Bethel and Ai, or Hai, built the altar there. And then when he gets back, he's calling on the name of the Lord again. Now, why would he do that? If he's in the plan and purpose of God, if he's walking in the will of God completely, what's he calling on the name of the Lord for again when he gets there? See, folks, the Jews believe, and I think they're right. The Jews believe that he's realized his mistake, so he went back to the last place that he knew God. And that is a principle that you need to learn and keep in mind for the rest of your life. If you ever get off track, go to the last thing God told you to do and finish that. Go to the last place where you heard from him and do what he told you to do. So many Christians are walking through life complaining because they can't hear from God. Well, they have heard from him, and they're doing like Abram did, and doing their own thing, their own way, instead of following what God told them to do. And all God's waiting for is for them to finish what he last told them. Sometimes he waits decades on people to do what he told them to do. Thank God for his mercy. He still waits. But then when we get to the place where we finish it, we finally complete the task that was given to us, there's God waiting for us. Many times, with many Christians, if not most Christians, it seems to me that it's not, the one that, it's not God that's not talking. It's us that's not obeying. And Abram there called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, for they, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's, Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in, thin in the land. Now that's an important phrase. Keep that in mind. The Canaanite and the Perizzites are dwelling there too. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land, here's Abram talking, is not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou will take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Lester Summerall said of this verse of scripture, something that I've always remembered. He said, a man of faith takes what's left. Abraham has every right to say, wait a minute, God appeared to me. I wasn't even supposed to bring you on this trip. And here you've got all your stuff and your guys are creating a problem with my guys. Who in the world do you think you are? Let's see how far you make it without me. But that's not what Abram does. And now notice how his attitude is changing. Abram goes to, to Egypt just a little while before because of the famine in the land. An indication that he's not trusting God to take care of him in the famine, during the famine, in the land that God said was his. So we better go somewhere where things are better. Let's find greener pastures, so to speak. Now he says, look at the whole land. Is not the whole land before you lot? Actually, the whole land wasn't before Lot. The whole land was before Abram. If Lot had a brain in his head, he should have said, whoa, whoa, whoa. stop right here. I'm not going to choose anything. I'll get rid of the troublemaking herdsmen. I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not going to have any trouble with you. You are the reason that I'm blessed. There's no way 
I'm going to be the cause of separating from you. If I have to get rid of everything I have, I'm sticking with you because you're the one that's blessed. But what did Lot do? The next verses are very, very specifically instructive. And Lot lifted up his eyes. Remember that phrase. It's going to show up a couple of more times concerning Abram. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. There, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now, folks, we're not going to, we're running out of time, so I'm not going to take the time to read everything, but I'm going to tell you some things that you already know. You know that uh, the condition of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God winds up in Genesis chapter 18 and 19, destroying the cities, talking to Abraham about it, destroying the cities and, sa and saving Lot from uh, destruction in the process. But I want you to see what happens. And here's one of the reasons, and, and, and let me preface these comments by saying this. We never really see the whole picture when it comes to consequences for disobeying God. If the devil ever showed you, now I want you to disobey God, and here's what's all going to happen if you do. Nobody in their right mind would ever do it. One of the consequences of Abram going down, down into Lot, uh, going down into Egypt, is that Egypt got into Lot. Notice he looked at the plain and found a place that looked like Egypt. So what does Lot do? Is Lot looking out for Abram? Is Lot trying to put first things first because Abram is the one that God appeared to? No, he chooses where he thinks his greatest opportunities are. So what does he do? He journeys to Sodom and pitches his tent toward Sodom. Now, the progression of things that happened with Lot are worth, worth uh, considering because the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah didn't start getting bad when Lot got there. Whether they were known for what, they, what was going on there or not, known to Lot, I mean, we don't know. But he picks what looked to him to be the best thing. What looks to be best is not always the best. He's lifting up his eyes just like Eve lifted up her eyes and beheld the fruit of the tree that she was commanded not to eat. He's looking at something, and Lot is the perfect example of somebody that's walking by faith. He's a relative of the type of the believer. So I believe that we could say that Lot is an example of the Christian that tries to walk in both worlds. So what does he do? He pitches his tent toward Sodom. Now, he progresses in the city. With all the things that are going on there, he moves from his tent pitched toward Sodom to living inside of Sodom to giving his two daughters to the men of Sodom to become wives of the, the evil bunch. And by the time the, the two angels go down to destroy the city, he's sitting in the gates. He's an alderman. He's a city official in the cities that are the most notoriously wicked cities in the Bible. He's really progressed. He's made a name for himself. Why? Because he looked 
to the place that, that appeared to him to be the greatest opportunity. Let's pick up in verse, I guess we finish with verse 12. Let's read verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, finally, finally, Abraham has got everything the way God said it should be from the beginning. Years before, how many years we don't know. Could have been a long time. God's been waiting for Abram to get things in the, the condition that he first told him when he first appeared to him at whatever age Abram was. Now he's there. And so the Lord says to Abram, can you see the progression of information, the progressive revelation that you get when you obey God? And the Lord said unto Abram after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up your eyes. Remember, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the plain of Jordan, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that looked like Egypt. Now God says to Abram, lift up your eyes and look now from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. Now he's already said things to that effect, but he adds to it. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. A couple of things I want you to know is, first of all, Mamre means fatness or abundance. Hebron means fellowship. This is the same Hebron that becomes Caleb's inheritance when he's 80 years old after the children of Israel have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And the Bible says that he asked for that inheritance because he wholly or fully followed the Lord. Now these names are not accidental, folks. These names show us something, they show us principles about God. Abundance and fellowship comes from total obedience. Now, do you remember I said to keep in mind that uh, the Lord said unto Abraham, lift up your eyes? Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the place that looked like Egypt. That's where he wanted to go. Now, God says, arise and lift up your eyes. There are three times, three places <coughs> in Abraham's life where it speaks of him lifting up his eyes. One is in, this is the first one, where he sees the inheritance that's been given to him, or that God's promised to him. It's really not his yet. But God's promised it to him. He tells him to walk it. I wonder if God would have told him that had he gone by himself and not with Lot. When he first got there in the land of Canaan, before he went south and journeyed into Egypt, I wonder if God would have told him this then. There's no reason to think that he wouldn't have because the, in, the information that the Bible gives us is that the reason God told him that is because he's finally separated from Lot. So at whatever point he would have gotten there separated from Lot, having been in complete obedience with what God told him, it stands to reason that that's what he would have told him then. Three times it says, Abram, lift up his eyes. This is the first one when it comes to the promise 
inheritance. The second time is in Genesis chapter 18, I believe it is, where it says he lifted up his eyes and he saw three men. One of them was the Lord, the other were the two angels that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's Jesus coming in a pre-birth appearance of Jesus coming to talk to his friend Adam, or friend Abram, excuse me. And then the third time it says Abram lifted up his eyes and he saw the ram stuck in the thicket when the angel stopped him from sacrificing Isaac. Every time the Bible says Abram lift up his eyes, it had a spiritual meaning. But Lot lifting up his eyes was just what he thought looked good according to this world. So what happens? God tells Abram, walk the land. Now this is instructive to us. And again, it's remember that Abram is a type of the believer today in the world but not of the world. He tells him to walk literally to enjoy, to experience everything that will be his that we know is fulfilled in Joshua's day. The land doesn't come to him for hundreds of years later. But he says, enjoy it like it's yours now. Here's the epitome of walking by faith. The Canaanite and the Perizzite are there. Oh, by the way, that's one of the reasons I mentioned it earlier and then I passed over it. One of the reasons that Abram didn't want to fight uh, between Lot's workers and his is because he knew that if there's strife among us, our enemies will take advantage of that and destroy us both. So he avoided conflict at all costs. He avoided the the conflict with his, his brethren, his nephew, Lot, because he didn't want to give place to his enemies. That's a good thing for us to follow in principle too. Whatever our problems are with each other, let's fix it so that the devil doesn't gain any place. Chapter 14 tells us about how that uh, the five kings come against Sodom and Gomorrah and take away the people and the goods and everything. It says in verse 12, And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, his goods, and departed. Now keep in mind that Sodom is the place that, that Lot chose to go so that he could increase. The whole reason he separated from Abram is because they were too big. They couldn't dwell in the land together. So they separated so that they could both get bigger have more goods, have more flocks, have more herds, and so forth. Lot goes to the place and begins to increase in the place that is not a place of safety. It's not a place that's blessed of God. He's not even under the blessing of God except for, except for his relationship with Abram. And he has the, the, the greatest teaching lesson to see that when the five enemy kings come and take his stuff. Abram hears about it and goes immediately and gets the people of his house and fights against these five enemy kings and wins. Then it tells us about Melchizedek, verse 18, and Melchizedek, they're coming back from the the victory after regaining Lot and his stuff and everybody else's stuff. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, tithes of all. Now Hebrews says Melchizedek is is very much uh, a type of Jesus. Well, we can see that. But it tells us some things that show us the type, that he was without natural descent, without father or mother. 
the, the language is a little bit unclear. We don't know if that means this is a divine being because the Bible calls him a man. So we don't know if Melchizedek was a divine being and if that's what it means without father and mother or if it means that the Bible is specifically silent about him having his, uh, uh, about his lineage and where his mother and father were so that he can fit the type of Jesus. We don't know for sure. I've got an opinion, but I'm sure you do and too, and yours is worth about what mine is. When we get to heaven, we can ask if we care then. But the thing that is important is that Abram pays tithes to Melchizedek. Where does he get the concept of tithes? There's no tithing in idol worship. Where did he come up with the notion of tithing? It's not anything God told him to do. It's not anything Melchizedek told him to do either. He gives him a tenth of everything that he has out of a, as a memorial to God being his provider. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8, following the type of Melchizedek and Jesus, it says Jesus is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It doesn't say that he is Melchizedek. It says he'll operate for eternity after the order of Melchizedek. And it says here, men that die receive tithes, Hebrews 7, 8. But there he receives them. Jesus receives them at the right hand of the Father, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. In other words, paying tithes today is a sign of our belief, a testimony of our belief that Jesus is alive. If he's not alive, what are we paying tithes for? Abram paid tithes out of his own desire to honor God. That's why the Bible tells us to follow the faith of Abraham. We're following the same memorial that he set up that became a requirement, became a law, a commandment to Israel because they were of the seed of Abraham. Well, we are too. The Bible says if you Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, why in the world would Abram do that? Well, remember him going down to Egypt. Abram going down into Egypt is really important. There's a lot of significance there. By the way, not only does it create a problem for Lot, you remember Hagar in chapter 16? You remember Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden, that's given to uh, Abram to have a child, and he does have a child. His name is Ishmael. becomes the father of the Arab nations of the world. That turned out marvelously. You know where Hagar came from? It says she was an Egyptian. Sometimes we can't see the far-reaching consequences of our actions. That's why it's always so important to obey God. So he says, it says, And he, Abram, gave him Melchizedek, tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to yourself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. I've made a solemn vow. Notice how different this is, his attitude is now, to when he went down to Egypt. That I will not take from thee a thread, even to a shoe latchet, shoestring. And that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Now apparently he left the famine of Canaan to go down into Egypt because he wasn't convinced that God could take care of him. Now he's convinced that God's blessing is sufficient and God can take care of him no matter what the situation is and he will not allow himself to be in a situation where anybody claims otherwise. Can you see his faith growing? 
not only his faith, but I see his character developing. One of the hardest things is to learn to trust God with material, your material possessions. That's why one of the first things that God will ever talk to you about is money. If you can solve the money issue, and you young people, I encourage you, get it settled early. Because if you can settle the money issue to realize that God is your provider, it doesn't matter if there's famine in the land or not. If you're in obedience to God's word and walking in his will, he'll take care of you if he has to bring manna from heaven. He has to feed you by ravens. Whatever is necessary, whatever miracle is necessary to take care of you, God's word cannot fail. You settle that issue. And, and you know as well as I do that the number one complaint that people have about tithing is they can't afford it. I can't afford it. If I tithe, I won't be able to pay my bills. If I pay my tithes, I can't pay my car payment. If I pay my tithes, I can't pay my rent. Folks, I got rid of a car so I could tithe. Because I was facing that very thing. So I said, all right, it's going to be one or the other. I got rid of the car. And God's honored that. Well, the Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. He furthermore said that no man can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And the devil will always try to use money to pull you away. I can't tell you how many times or how many people have left the church because they were going to move somewhere and go to a better job. I don't know one of those that that's worked out. That doesn't mean everybody lost their jobs. I'm thinking of somebody right now that's got that better job and their family's a wreck. They're not being fed spiritually. They put money before the things of God and it's destroying their family while they watch. And they feel trapped. They don't think there's anything they can do about it. They'll contact me every now and then. Say, Pastor Mike, what are we going to do? Well, what do you tell them? What are you going to do? They can't afford to quit that job because they don't have the one that they had before. What are they going to do? I'm not going to be the one to tell them what they ought to do. Are you? You shouldn't be. Neither should I. Some of these questions can't be answered by somebody else. They're between you and the Lord because only you know what the Lord put on your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Looks to me like Abram learned something going out into Egypt. Looks to me like he learned a lot. He learned that God was faithful. And even though God blessed him while he was in disobedience, God took mercy on him because he didn't have an example to follow. We do. When you put first things first, you can trust God to see it through. I love that phrase where Abram says, I have lifted my hand to the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thing from somebody else. Because I don't want anybody to say that they made me rich. I want everybody to look at me and say, God's hand was upon him and everything that he has is because of the blessing of God. Well, has God changed? Not a bit. Has the blessing of Abraham changed? Not a bit. Not only that, but the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, 
being made a curse for us, for it is written, Curses everyone that hangeth on a tree, that or so that the blessing of Abraham might come on you and me as Gentiles. I think it would do us well to make the same vow to God that Abram made. I'm not going to look to the world to enrich me. I'm not going to look to opportunities where I have to skirt the word of God or the truth of God's word or compromise my character so that I can increase financially. I'm going to trust God to make it work even if it looks like I'm in famine today because famine won't last. God will always come through. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the example that we have. Not only the story that we have that shows us the example. Father, we thank you for Abraham who was willing to follow you and trust you without anybody else to follow before him. He found you faithful. We found you faithful too, Father. We can say that heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word will never fail because you've never failed us. Lord, we lift our hand to heaven. And we commit that we'll put you first. We'll seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. We'll not compromise our character or our integrity. We'll not try to find justification for not acting upon the word. But instead, we will be doers of the word in every respect. Obey the word of God down to the smallest detail. Because we know that's where we find the fullness of your fellowship. And the abundance that comes from obedience. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all the wonderful things that you've done for us and even the greater things that are yet to come. Thank you, Lord, for bringing your word to pass in our lives. Let us be strong like Abraham was strong, Father. Show us how. Holy Spirit, you're the spirit of truth. You're the spirit of reality. Guide us into the truth of fulfilling our potential as strong believers. People that can be examples to others. People that can be examples to the lots that we encounter. Other believers and Christians that are trying to walk in both worlds. Let us be an example to them. In Jesus' precious name. Everybody that can agree with that, say amen. Amen. There's some cool stuff about Abram, folks. We're just getting started. Say it with me. The Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.